Oh, thanks for that, Leslie. I think I need a little more time on what is competing for my attention. I started in that list. I'm like, man, I've got a bunch of stuff competing for my attention this morning, I think. Man, that list was long, but thank you for a little time to, to pray and prepare our hearts. Well, good morning. Man, it is good to be here, to see you guys uh, every week. Uh, if there's one popular image that comes to mind on the topic of God and anger, I think it would be this, struck by lightning. You ever hear anybody say that? You know, it's like we think, oh, we're going to get struck down by God. And it's usually for something trivial like, you know, cussing on the golf course or, you know, cheating at Monopoly or like, oh, I haven't been in church in a long time. When I walk in there, he's probably going to strike me down. You know, we think those things. And, uh, or maybe in the modern day, he's probably got uh, better ways to do things. I don't know if you remember this Far Side cartoon. Uh, yeah, the Almighty. There's a, that button is the smite button. So he's at his big PC in the sky just waiting to smite you. But we know that can't be accurate, right? Because God would definitely be using a MacBook. Probably MacBook Pro. <laughs> but it's a great question. Does God get angry? And if you read through the Old Testament... This has to come to your mind every once in a while. Like, you have to wrestle with this because so many times in Scripture we'll see that God is loving and gracious, but then you turn the page and all of a sudden there's this God that seems to be furious and angry. And in fact, I've had conversations with people that the stories of God's wrath are some of the reasons that should make them say, I don't really want to know if I wanted to have anything to do with God. And these are tough questions. That's why we're in this series called Good God? Question mark. Like, good God? Is God good? Because we read things at times, we look at passages from Scripture that sometimes people think, you know, maybe God is harsh or he's unfair or sexist or legalistic. And without minimizing those passages and those narratives, we're truly trying to ask this question of like, well, how do we make sense of the God that we discover in this book? What does that look like? So today we're asking this question, is God angry or is he loving? Now, in the next 20 minutes... I am not going to satisfy this discussion for every single person here, okay? That, that isn't even the attempt. The attempt is we want to engage in a dialogue, a conversation about these texts that we're more often to either ignore or run away from. We're going to lean into them today. So let's dive into a confusing one. How about that? Sound like fun? The story of Uzzah and the ark. You might be thinking, wait a second, Noah and the ark, right? No, it's Uzzah and the ark. I think I'm pronouncing that right. I looked it up. Uzzah and the Ark. When I get in Scripture, I'm like, I read through it, but then when I actually have to teach it, I'm like, I better go actually learn how to pronounce these names in here. But this is Uzzah and the Ark, and the Ark in our story today is the Ark of the Covenant. This is what the Ark of the Covenant kind of is pictured, what it looks like. It's a golden-covered wooden chest, uh, and then it has a lid called the Atonement Cover. And inside the Ark of the Covenant is the tablets that hold the Ten Commandments. And that's not really what makes it so special. What makes it so special is it was actually the place of God's presence during this time in Israel's history. God's presence actually was in the ark. Uh, in the, during the Exodus, God's people, God tells his people this. He said, there, above the cover, between the two cherubim, that are over the ark of the covenant law, I will meet with you and give you all my commandments for the Israelites. So the ark of the covenant represented God's very presence to his people. So we're going to fast forward into the time of David. And David, uh, during his, not during his reign, but during this time, the unthinkable happens. 
the Israelites are defeated by the Philistines. 30,000 people are killed, and the ark falls into the hands of the enemy. So then David, fast forward to 2 Samuel, the tides turn a little bit, David's king, and he's just defeated the Philistines. And they've agreed to give back the Ark of the Covenant. 30,000 soldiers are here to celebrate it. It's a lot of people. It's like this great big parade that's taking place, and that's where we're going to jump in. Long passage. Hang with me, okay? David again brought together all the able young men of Israel, 30,000. He and all of his men went to Baalah in Judah to bring up from there the ark of God, which is called by the name, the name of the Lord Almighty, who is enthroned between the cherubim of the ark. They set the ark of God on a new cart and brought it to the house of Abinadab, which was on the hill. Uzzah and Ahio, son of Abinadab, were guiding the new cart with the ark of God in it. And Ahio was walking in front of it, and David and all, the Israel, and all of Israel were celebrating with all their might uh, before the Lord with castanets and harps and lyres and uh, timbrels and sistrums and cymbals. It was like this giant marching band. You just imagine a 30,000 group of marching band. And when they came to the threshing floor of Nacon, Uzzah reached out, took hold of the ark, and because the oxen stumbled, the, the Lord's anger burned against Uzzah because of the irreverent act. Therefore, God struck him down, and he died there beside the ark. Then David was angry because the Lord's wrath had broken out against Uzzah. Hmm. So much for the parade, right? It's a difficult story, isn't it? Like, what? God killed the guy because he touched the ark? Like, this, this seems a little, like, much. Like, what, what is going on here? But I want us to wrestle... With this question a little bit, I want to dive in. Why did God get angry? Like, why does he get angry in this situation? And I think that if we look uh, at this story in light of all the scripture, I think there are several reasons that we could point to and say, hey, this is why I think God will get angry. First, we have to look back to the time of Exodus. So God gave the Israelites instructions to build the ark, specific instructions. Not only that, he told them how to carry this, how this should be transported. And it was, be, it was to be carried by priests. Not Uzzah. The ark was never to be transported on a cart. And he warned the Israelites time and time again, if anyone touches the ark, they will die. This is, this is how it's going to go. This is how you got to carry it. If anybody touches the ark, you'll die. And it's not like he said it once. Like, hey, write this down. I'm only saying it one time. Anybody touches the ark for the next how many ever hundred years, they will die. He didn't say, over and over again, recorded in Exodus and Numbers and Deuteronomy. And all the way up to the time of David, it would be so hard for them to forget. Like, oh yeah, what were the rules of carrying this thing again? Like, it was so difficult. They would have known how to do this. Not only that, it had two rings on each side of the chest with poles that were never to be removed, which means that's what you carry it for. Every time the Israelites looked at this object, they would be reminded God wanted this ark to be carried by the priests on their shoulders. Now... We hear that in 2021, and we're like, man, God seems a little OCD about this ark, right? <laughs> like, man, there's an awful lot of rules on why we got to carry this thing and how it's put together and all of this kind of stuff, you know. But let's put, our, put ourselves in God's shoes for just a minute and just maybe how he would feel. And I know that's really difficult to do. But remember, it was the Israelites' disobedience that they were defeated and the ark was lost. And 30,000 people died. Now, how many thousand people were here again, it said? 
Oh yeah, 30,000 people now are watching this thing play out. And I think God probably doesn't want to like put out the wrong message. Like disobedience already killed 30,000 people. And now all of a sudden during the same boat, he doesn't want to say that obedience is optional. Like it's important. Too many people have already been lost. Like this is an important thing. But as we read this, I think if we would say, oh, well, disobedience, if it was just disobedience, we might still be going, gosh, I don't know, maybe a warning, I don't know. But I think there's other reasons, like what he would have felt like. So let's imagine this. Say we're going to give, you're going to give our lead pastor, Brian, a ride home today after the gathering. I mean, he hasn't worked very hard this morning. It's not that he can't, you know, get there, but... (laughs) But say you're going to give him a ride home and you guys walk out on the parking lot and you get to the car and all of a sudden, boop, boop, you pop the trunk. Hey, hop on in, Brian, right in the trunk. <laughs> it's not that Brian isn't shotgun worthy. It's not that, that, he's, that there's not space. You just really don't think he is shotgun worthy. So you just put him in the trunk. That would be ridiculous, wouldn't it? It would also be incredibly disrespectful. Nobody should be riding in the trunk And really, what the Israelites are doing here in this transporting the ark, it's almost like they're saying, hey, God, why don't you just ride in the trunk? Just hop in the trunk. The ark represented the presence of God. And the reason God instructed it to be carried by people, by priests, is so people would understand who God actually was. And he was the rightful king of Israel. That's who he was. He was their king. You've seen this in, in movies where they carry something on the shoulders. It's by priests. But it said that it was put on a cart. I don't know many carts that's used for anything really all that great. It's like, man, I need something to carry this thing. Oh, grab a cart. That's what you think. Carts are for things. Carts for an object. And they're treating God as it's just like this object. They weren't remembering actually who he was, which leads us to what I think we believe is the primary reason God gets angry. Here it is. Because his people were not valuing their relationship with him. That was the whole point of the ark. It was the ark. It was his presence in there. It was how they met with him. And their lack of respect of the ark indicated they didn't really want to know God as God. It messed up the relationship. Now, I know nobody's going, oh, good, that answers all my questions. I get that, okay? But I think it does give us some understanding and some insight into this. God gets angry about breakdowns in relationships. He gets angry about a breakdown in the relationship with his people. And quite frankly, I'm not sure I would actually want to serve a God that doesn't take our relationship seriously. Would you? That's one of the things I love about God is it's relationship-based. I love that my creator wants a relationship with me. Remember, God is a loving father who desires to protect his family And he's trying to actually prevent something bad from happening to his family. And like a good father, like a good parent, we know this. Parents possess a foresight and a perspective that sometimes kids just can't see, right? I mean, I know with my kids, I have all kinds of foresight. They can't see it. Seems like they can't see it. But we know that as parents. And God knows that if he doesn't step in, they're heading down a road that's going to be far worse than what's happened before. And sometimes as parents, we have to make impossibly difficult decisions. And as hard as it is for understand, we need to understand this. God's anger in this situation is based 
out of love. It's based out of love. And it's why we see God also get angry over injustice like violence of the innocent and like discrimination against an entire people group and oppression of the poor. In the New Testament, we see Jesus get angry. And we, Jesus is the fullness of God. We, it's the unseen God now seen. And in Matthew chapter 21, he flips over the tables. I've heard people use this scripture many times because they want to flip over tables. He flips over tables, disrupting the place where people met with God, disrupting the relationship that people have with God. He wasn't just flying off the handle. He was simply going in saying, hey, you guys have forgotten what this is about. This is a place that we actually come to meet with the Father. And he was also upset because they were being very disrespectful and they were taking advantage of people, of poor people in that situation, trying to get financial gain over it. We need to remember that God cares about relationships. And he's passionate about injustice. So much so that he's willing to give up his own life so that he can actually come back into a relationship with us. We have to remember that. One thing we also see over and over in the Old Testament is God is slow to anger. Everybody say slow to anger. Slow to anger. Over and over we see this. Moses, the leader, declares, the Lord is slow to anger and abounding in love and forgiving sin and rebellion. And then Jonah the prophet says, I knew that you are a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abounding in love, a God who relents from sending calamity. David the king says, the Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in love. The people of the Old Testament who knew God the best said he's slow to anger. God's anger is not fickle, it's not unpredictable, it's not spiteful. His anger is tied to love, always, always. You notice that in there, right? Said he's slow to anger, but abounding in what? Abounding in love. They're not mutually exclusive. God gets angry about a breakdown in relationship. God gets angry about injustice. And this is important for us to remember, especially when we're reading verses of Scripture where we're going, oh my gosh, that one's really challenging for me. Or we see something about anger in God. We need, to, we need to slow down and ask the question, why is God angry here? We need to look for maybe some brokenness in relationship or an injustice that's taking place. God is quick to love and slow to anger. Now, I want us to wrestle with one more question that I think is really important for us, especially in this day and age and in our culture, and it's this question. Well, if God gets angry, well, then when, when do I get to get angry? Like, what does that look like for me? Like, I get to be angry, right? Because, I mean, I hear this word righteous anger all the time. Like, the Bible tells us we need to engage in righteous anger, doesn't it? Isn't that what it says? No. It's not what it says. And by the way, if we add righteous in front of a bad thing, it doesn't make the bad thing a good thing. You realize that, right? Oh, it's righteous anger. Oh, okay, well, good grief, go for it, you know? It's not how it works. But doesn't James say, hey, be slow to anger? Like James tells us that, right? That means that we can, we can get angry as long as we're just getting there slowly. We can do that. Well, that's what he says. My dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to become angry, okay? Because human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. A lot of times when we read scriptures like that, we'll forget maybe the point of the scripture and we turn it into us to have permission to get angry 
And then we'll throw a word like righteous in front of it, and then we really feel good about it. Like James said this, I can get angry, and this is righteous anger, so I can lean into that. Paul talks about anger too. Remember that? Don't sin in your anger. Okay, so as long as I can be angry and not sin in it, I can be good, right? How do I do that? Paul says, if you do not sin, in your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you're still angry, and do not let the devil get a foothold. We've heard that scripture before. But a couple verses down, he talks about how do we then deal with our anger and not sin. Paul says, get rid of it. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, anger, brawling, and slander along with every form of malice. Paul says, how do you not sin in your anger? You get rid of it. You don't lean into it. You don't call it righteous. You don't hang on to it. You don't justify it. We get rid of it. We just simply get rid of it. Why? Because Satan, Paul says, Satan, the enemy, you will give him a foothold. So what do we do with anger? We get rid of it. We don't call it righteous. We don't justify it. Remember what the fruits of the Spirit are? Love. If we're in Jesus, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, and righteous anger. Not in there. Listen, God gets angry. Does he get angry? Yes. Is he loving? Absolutely. His anger and love are not mutually exclusive, and his anger always flows from love. And because God is love, his anger will never violate love. But we are not capable of that, okay? It's really important to know we're not capable of that. None of us are flawless. None of us are completely mature enough to make sure that in our anger we're always motivated by love. We're not able to do that. Or to make sure that there's not any judgment tied to it or any selfishness or revenge. That's why we have to leave anger to the only one who can justify it and handle it perfectly every single time. That's God's job. Now, we don't have to be afraid of God. He's not going to smite us. The piano won't be dropping on us because you've done something wrong. On the contrary, God is here to love us to receive us, to offer grace. God is good. He's a good God. And if you ever doubt how good God is, look to the cross. Because he gave his life, took on all the anger and the sin of this world so that we can have life because he loves us. God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but to have everlasting life. God is a good God. Does God get angry? Sometimes. Is God loving? All the time. All the time. He is good. Let's just sit with that for a minute. Can we do that? Let's just bow our heads, close our eyes where we are. Online, same thing. Just sit for a moment. And I want you to think about your anger. As Leslie led us through a prayer a minute ago, maybe part of the thing that's getting in the way or interrupting is anger that's been building up inside of you about someone or something. And in light of what we just heard, maybe you've been holding on to that in some justified way and maybe today you just need to get rid of it somehow. And the best way I know how to do that 
is to repent of that, which is simply to acknowledge your way of thinking is not God's way of thinking. And you need to reprogram your brain to be back under the line of love, under the fruits of the Spirit, and you just need to simply give that up, give that away. And a follow-up to that might be a conversation with somebody when you leave here today. But don't walk out of here hanging on to anger. And then you might be sitting here this morning and maybe you've always had a problem with God because of this anger idea. And possibly this resolves something for you today and you've never really been able to lean in and trust him because of that. And I just encourage you today to do it. Just trust him. He is good. And just tell him, Father, I trust you in your goodness even when I don't have all the answers to understand every little thing about you, I do trust that you're good. And just trust him with your life today. Father, thank you for knowing what we can and can't handle. Thank you for handling the things that you can fully handle and that we can't. And thank you for giving us something like love that we can handle. And that if we lean into it, and if we practice it, and if we offer it, it is life-changing. And help us to lean into that this morning. Thank you, Lord. You are a good God. Amen. All right. Well, guys, one more week of good God. Uh, I think this has been an incredible series. I know the feedback I'm getting from a few people has just been very helpful for them. So if for some reason you've missed any of these weeks online, if you've missed, go out there, catch up on that. Facebook, you can go to our app, you can watch all these messages back, but catch up on these and use these as tools for yourself to be able to also understand, I hope what you also feel permission to is not to have to have all the answers. We don't have all the answers, but we do have some answers and we do know who to look to in the representation of God, which is Jesus. So let's remember to focus on that. All right? You guys are dismissed. See you back here next week.